street this morning. Now, he wanted me to say that when the pastor heard him speaking, he left the country. But I'm not going to say that. <laughs> but I will say that I'm honored to be a friend and a reader of, I've got this, I got the first copy right here of Hot Pursuit. Now, I haven't dived completely into the new edition. I'm sure he's going to be telling some of the stories today. What a wonderful testimony of how God will hunt you down and be there when you finally turn after running for so long. So would you please welcome my friend and author and employee of the week at Chick-fil-A, <laughs> Mr. Ken Burke. I am really excited to be here today. I prepared for this all weekend. For instance, Friday, I was out dress shopping all day. My wife should have dry skin from trying on so many dresses, but I finally picked that blue one there. I think I did a very good job. Anyways, I'm not a good speaker, so bear with me. I'm here because this is what God wants me to do. The Bible says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he hath redeemed from the hand of the enemy. And that's why I'm here. It was a different world back then when God got a hold of me and things are... Uh, really, really different uh, nowadays, but in the late 1960s, I used to have long hair. I wore an earring, a ring in my nose, I carried a gun, crowbar, meat cleaver, anything I could find for a weapon. I used all the drugs you ever heard of, LSD, psilocybin, marijuana, speed, amphetamines, anything I could get my hands on, drink anything that come in a bottle. I didn't care what it was. I got mixed up in all kinds of crime. One day I'd be stealing something or selling something that was stolen or selling drugs or sending a prostitute out for a job so I could get my cut of the money. It really didn't matter to me what it was as long as it profited number one. In those days, I could have easily have ended somebody's life. One that bothered me one bit. I planned on it on more than one occasion. And the only thing that stopped me from doing it is I had already been in some of our finer institutions. I was in Cook County Jail and a terrible place in Genesee County Jail and not wanting to spend my life in one of those places that prevented me from doing what was in my heart. I couldn't believe it one day when I was sitting in my house with some friends of mine from the motorcycle club and there came a knock at the door and I went and opened the door and I found that the cops had my house surrounded. This cop says to me, I got a warrant for your arrest. He didn't even know who I was. I had concealed my identity so well. But unfortunately for me, I found out that the warrant was good nonetheless and they took me away. It's a little while later when I came to a trial, I wasn't worried about these guys because they hadn't ever been able to hardly stick anything on me. My record was almost perfectly clean. But as I sit there in that courtroom that day and they were doing jury selection, the judge said, uh, young man, he said, you do understand that you're facing life in prison if you're convicted on this charge in a very minimum of 20 years? And he said, what, what? And he was interrupting So, Well, apparently there's a second charge, the same as the first one. I really began to get nervous at that point when I realized that I wasn't going to beat the charges they had against me that time. I made up my mind if I could get out of that courtroom, I wasn't coming back. It, the day drug on, and finally it was late in the afternoon. The judge said, I'm going to adjourn court. He said, young man, he said, you're free. You're on bond. You'll be back here tomorrow morning when court starts at such and such a time. He may as well have been talking to the wall because I knew good and well I wasn't coming back the next day. That time... I made up my mind, and I took off and started running, and I spent the next 10 years running from the police and running from God. There was many times during those 10 years 
Oh, I should tell you, they, they wanted me out of circulation very bad. They did something quite unusual. They continued the trial without me being there. The jury found me guilty. The judge then sentenced me to 25 to 40 years in prison. He issued a federal warrant for flight to avoid prosecution. I don't know what other charges they had against me. But during those 10 years that I was running, I encountered the police many times. And sometimes I just narrowly escaped with my life. I remember one time I was, uh, I was upstairs in this house where I rented a room and I heard some noise and I opened my door and I looked down the stairways and the police had come in and they were started, started speaking to my landlord whose place was right underneath of mine and I could hear them talking. They were looking for somebody. I decided that maybe the best chance I had to get away from them, they may have the house surrounded. I decided I would go in somebody else's room and hide there. But I took with me a very large butcher knife and I had made up my mind that if it was necessary, I would end my life with that knife because there's no way I was going to spend my life locked up in a cage like an animal. I'd rather be dead. I remember one time I was working in this store. I was in uh, Toronto. I was near the corner of Young and Bloor, main intersections in Toronto. And uh, I worked where I worked there, they needed someone to go across the street to the stationery store and pick up some stuff, and I volunteered. I went over there, and I was on my way back. I was almost back to where I worked, and one of those big yellow cruisers was going by on the other side, and that cop looked over, and having seen my mugshot, he recognized me from all the people on that sidewalk, made a U-turn, came over, pulled up on the sidewalk, apprehended me off the sidewalk, started telling me I caught me a fugitive. I said, you ain't caught nobody, man. I ain't wanted by nobody. He said, you're a fugitive. I know you are. I've seen your mugshot. I, I got in his car and I thought I could bluff my way out of this. There's only one cop. You know, I'm sure I, I can do this. And he said, well, I'm going to tell you how you changed your appearance. And he started describing it and he was right. And then he took a guess at what the charges was and he was really close to that one. And I said, you're wrong. A lot of people look like other people. I'm not wanted by anybody. And he kept looking at me and he said, I, I'm sure I recognize you. And I could see he was unsure of himself when another cruiser was going by and he waved at him and he pulled off and pulled up in front of us and that cop came back to the car. He said, look in the back seat. He said, do you recognize that guy? And that cop looked at me long and hard. Pretty soon he said, no, I, I don't know who he is. And I kept lying to those cops and lying and telling them they made a mistake and they let me out of the car and let me go. And I told that cop I was working right there. He says, I'm going to come back here one day, and I'm going to show you a picture of your twin brother. I had already seen that picture, and drugs had affected my mind a lot, but I wasn't dumb enough to wait for him to come back with that photograph. I took off. It was time to move again. <laughs> one of the worst experiences I had, I was hiding out in um, northern Canada up by uh, Algonquin Park. They got a park up there the size of Spain, very cold up there, 20 below zero for two weeks at a stretch sometimes. You have to walk in snowshoes. It's really rough country to live in. And uh, where they plowed the road, and they always plowed the driveways. Uh, you know, they always plowed them enough so you could get a car off the road if you had a car. And one day, I was up right in the front of the driveway, right by the road, when two cars filled with the Royal Canadian Mounted Police pulled into the driveway, totally unexpected. Oh, I did not want to take off running through that winter weather. I didn't have food. I wasn't armed. I thought, I'm going to bluff my way out of this one. I'm, I, 
I feel like I can do this. Those cops got out of the car, and one of them comes up to me, and he started talking to me, started asking me questions. And it wasn't very long, for I knew he wasn't believing a word that I was telling him. And I knew that I was going to have to turn and start running into the bush. I didn't know if I might only get a few feet before they dropped me in a hail of gunfire. I took off running, and there was no gunshots. They were blowing their whistles and yelling. One of the first things I had to do, had to do was throw away this long fur coat that I was wearing because I couldn't run. It was hindering me, something I regretted very soon. As I ran that afternoon, very late in the afternoon, I came to this area that was like a big marshy area, like a swampy area. And uh, one end of it went right up to the road, and the other part was like a lake, and it was too big to go around. And I couldn't go up to the road and go across because I knew the cops would be all over the road, and I had to cross it. And I just hoped that it was the ice was thick enough so I could get across without, without my feet freezing, getting wet and freezing. And I almost made it across before the ice broke and my feet got wet, and I knew that that was a bad thing. I took off running from there with wet feet, it was very late. It could have been as late as midnight when I started hallucinating. I started hearing things that weren't true, and I knew that I was freezing to death, and I knew that I would have to come out of the bush and get some help, or they would find my body when the snow started melting. I came out to the road, and I found a cabin, and the lights were still on in it, and I went up to the door and knocked on the door, told the people the police was after me, and I was freezing to death. This elderly couple invited me into their home, and they got me propped up by their fireplace, and they managed to get my shoes off. They were frozen on my feet. They got my shoes off, and they gave me some dry clothing and thawed me out. They gave me something to eat, and finally I got warmed up, and I thanked them and told them that I would leave. And they said, well, what are you going to do? I said, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm heading that direction. I guess I'm heading into that town over there. And they said, well, look, do you want us to drive in there and back and see if the police have roadblocks set up or anything? I couldn't believe it. I, I, I said, yeah. So they, they left. I wasn't worried a bit about them turning me in. I don't know why. They got in their car. They drove into that town, came back. They told me there's no roadblocks. There's no cops, nothing unusual. And I thanked them, and I left. And I, uh, I stayed pretty close to the road. And anyways, there's just too much stuff that happened. I can't tell you everything that time. It took me three days to get away from the police that time. The third day, I was on a uh, bus like this, uh, like a Greyhound, Grey Coach bus. I was on one of them, and I got tipped off that the police were going to stop it. I got off of that bus, looked over my shoulder, and seen the police driving out on the bumper of that bus to stop it in a roadblock, thinking that they had me trapped. So many times, I narrowly escaped the police with my, with my life. But I want to tell you something this morning. There was somebody that was pursuing me that was far more persistent than any law enforcement agency ever thought about being. And I could tell when he was around. I could feel his presence, even though I didn't know what it was. I remember one time I was, uh, I was out in the country. I was sitting on this fence. I had a bottle of wine, and I was drinking this wine. And I was thinking about my life. My life was like the life of a cockroach. I hated my life. The Bible says, fear hath torment. You can't imagine what it's like not knowing from minute to minute if a bullet through your head could end your life. The Bible says that the wicked are like the troubled sea whose waters cast up mire and dirt. There is no peace, saith my God, to the wicked. There I was sitting there and hating my life, and I was trying to get my mind on something more pleasant, trying to get my mind off of the, 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 the horrible life that I was living. And I thought about that little church I used to go to when I was, I was very young. My parents took me to this church, and for the life of me, I couldn't tell you hardly anything that that pastor said, but I remembered the songs they used to sing. 
and I started singing them. I was out there in the fence drinking just about as ungodly as I could get, and I'm singing, Jesus, hold my hand. I need thee every hour. And I was singing in the garden. He walks with me, and he talks with me, and he tells me I am his own. But I knew I wasn't his own when I felt the presence of the Holy Ghost fall upon me so strong. I felt my eyes filled with tears. I had learned one thing in my life, and I had learned it well. You don't ever show weakness to anybody. You show weakness on, on the street, and the kind of life I was living, it could cost you your life right on the spot. You go in jail and show some weakness and see what happens to you. I thought those tears was a sign of weakness, and I wiped those tears away, and I resisted the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is very, very powerful but he's very gentle. He never will force himself on anybody. He stepped back and he let me go about my way. There was a guy, a singer that I used to re really like. I, I, I loved his music. And uh, my friend was really good at sneaking into concerts and getting these live tapes. And he got a tape of this guy's concert. He sent it to me. Oh man, I thought that was so cool. And I, I, as soon as I got it, I put it in the player and started playing it and listening to it. And man, I really liked his music. And all of a sudden he stopped. And he said, I had an experience with Jesus. He changed my life. He's coming back pretty soon. And every, and I, what? Oh my goodness, not this guy. How could this happen? You know, I, I listened to what he said and I thought, oh man. But you know, as I started going away and thinking about these things, the Holy Spirit spoke to me and he's like, you're really careful with the police. Somebody looks at you wrong and you leave, leave the city, you know? You, maybe you should check into this Jesus and see if there's anything to this business. This guy said that uh, uh, he told about what Jesus said and did. He said, some people said, that guy's crazy. He's a madman. He's got a devil. And other people said, these aren't the words of a madman. Listen to what he's saying. And I was wondering, would I be able to understand what Jesus had to say? If this guy was a phony, I'd know it. I could spot a phony, man. I made up my mind. I was going to get my hands on a Bible and take a look in there and just see what Jesus had to say for himself. I'd know if he was on the up and up and up. And if this thing was real, I would be in a lot of trouble. I'd check it out. <laughs> well, there wasn't any Bibles in my house. <laughs> I didn't have any friends that owned any Bibles. I wasn't about to take any of my drug money and spend it on Bibles. But you can't start thinking about that without God doing something, acting upon that. I was, uh, I was living in uh, downtown Vancouver in British Columbia and a walking distance to everything. And my wife says, uh, I, I want to go shopping down here. You want to go, uh, go with me? I said, sure, I'll, I'll come along with you. So we walked over to the Pacific Center Mall. And uh, we entered one end of it in a big long corridor and stores on both sides of it. <clears throat> and uh, so my wife would go in a store and she would shop. And I'd find a place outside the store somewhere to sit comfortable and wait for her to shop. And a couple days later when she'd come out of the store, we'd go down to the next store. <laughs> And uh, she'd go in and shop, and I'd sit and wait. And uh, we'd work our way down the mall. And uh, I just found me a, a, a new and comfortable seat. And I looked across the hall, and I seen this table. And there was a couple of elderly gentlemen there. And they had big stacks of these little books that looked like these. And I didn't know. As far as I know, I've never seen a Gideon in my entire life. But the Holy Spirit must have spoke to me because I knew right away those guys were Gideons. They're the ones that put the Bibles in the motels and all that stuff. And they were giving these things away. You know? And the Holy Spirit says, you know, these questions that you have in your life and these problems you got and the things you, you the answer to all of that is in them, that book right over there. You need to just go over there and get one. All right, man, a free one. I was all for it, man. And all of a sudden, I realized where I was. 
I was in a shopping mall, and there was people walking all over the place, all around me. I didn't want anybody to see me touch a Bible. I thought I was a bad dude. Bad dudes don't carry Bibles. They carry guns, knives, and all that sort of stuff, but not Bibles. I was embarrassed somebody might actually see me touch that Bible. I said, forget that. I ain't doing that. And I was walking away. Remember me telling you the Holy Spirit can be very persistent? Yeah. I, I was walking away. And he's like, you need to go back and get that uh, Bible off that table. I said, there's too many people around here. I waited and tried to get a chance when no one was looking. I said, it ain't going to happen. There's just too many people in here. And the Holy Spirit says, it is going to happen. And he kept tugging at me and tugging at me. So finally, I did the only reasonable thing I could do. I said, Marion, I want you to go back there and get that Bible from them guys and put it in your purse. Don't run up here and hand it to me. I'll get it when we get home. I wish you could have seen the look on her face. <laughs> Anyways, you know God was involved in this. It's probably the only time in her life she ever did exactly what I told her to do. So we got home, and she uh, got that Bible, and she come up to me and put it in my face, and she said, you listen to me. Don't you dare go get mixed up with something weird. Boy, and her fears were not unfounded because back then and at that time, there's all these cults all over the sidewalk like Harry Krishna's and the orange bed sheets and cold cream on their nose passing out peanuts. You may have never seen it in a little city like this, but in the major cities, they're all over the place. And uh, she didn't want me dyeing our bed sheets orange and all that stuff. So she said, don't get mixed up with something weird. I said, you ain't got nothing to worry about. I'm just curious about some things in this book. I just, I just need the answers to my questions. You know what a curious guy I am? All right. Well, I went into my room where I normally read. I pushed everything aside, propped myself up on my pillow, and I started in with Matthew. And he begat and begat me half to death. I didn't know what he was talking about, the begats and the begats. and, the be and uh, So I kind of, I understand now, but I kind of skipped over that page, and finally I got into something I could understand. This Jesus was not complicated at all. He was a member of the Godhead. There's three of them there, and one of them, him, he came to earth, and he took up uh, human flesh so that he could die. He was made lower than the angels so that he could die. And what he did was, in the most uncomplicated way I put it, he took my rap. You know, like if you did something wrong and somebody says, I'll take his punishment, that's what he did. So he suffered and died, and then he said, if you want forgiveness for your sins, I've already paid the penalty for all the wrong things you did. And I will forgive you for everything you did. All you have to do is ask me and get out of the sin business. Well, that sounded really good. And I started thinking about it. And I said, well, maybe just before I die, I'll get this thing worked out with you, Lord. But, I mean, like, not right now. I'm too exciting of a guy, man. I don't want to be, I don't want to offend you. But I'm going to tell you, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm going to tell you something, okay? That little church I used to go to when I was a kid, it was Pastor Gray. They had this they had this thing painted across the front of the church. We've seen it every time you come in. And big letters that says, where will you spend eternity? And I had finally figured out where that was. It would be in a room with six or eight of those Christians waiting for one of them to do or say something exciting or interesting. All they ever talked about is, we can't do this. We don't believe in this. We, I had never met a Christian who was saved and knew it and had the joy of the Lord. And when it was bubbling out, you know, I met all those ones. It was like, what's the matter with you? Your stomach hurt? No, I'm a Christian. We always look like this, you know. Well, anyways, I hope nobody's upset with that. But as the truth, I said, Lord, I can't be one of them guys. Not me. You know what kind of person I am. That isn't going to work. So I remember I went to work, and I said, this is a good deal, but not yet. 
Well, my plan, the later the better. God's plan was the sooner the better. I'd go to work, and the Holy Ghost would jump on me, and my eyes would fill with tears. And, Lord, I'm at work, man. I'd hurry in the bathroom, and I'd dry my eyes so nobody would see me. And I'd come back out, and he was waiting right behind the door. He'd pounce on me again. I couldn't keep the tears out of my eyes. God kept calling me and calling me. He says, you need to come to me. I can give you something you've never had. I can give you peace. I can change your life for the good. No more, no more of this stuff you're living in. You need to give me a chance. Your way's not working so good. Boy, it sounded good, and I, I, I really, really wanted to, but I, I said, Lord, I just, uh, boy, where I worked, they, uh, I was in a, a downtown area, and they give you your checks. Uh, oh, oh, well, anyways, one night before I, before I went to bed, I, I was laying in the bed, and I was thinking about, you know, everything I do just don't work out very good for me. Maybe I should give this Jesus a try because he just keeps calling me and calling me, you know, and I really would like peace. My life is in such a turmoil. So I got out of bed. It was, I don't know, 10, 11 o'clock. I went out in my living room, and we had this old chair there, and I knelt down in that thing, and I prayed a prayer. It was really short. It wasn't nothing fantastic or anything. I just said, Lord, look it. I understand your offer, and I want to take you up on it. I'm really sorry about all the things that I did. I hurt a lot of people. I caused a lot of harm and damage. I can't change that now. Okay, but I'm sorry I did that. And if you'll forgive me, I'll do my best to be a Christian and I'll serve you. Whew. I had no idea what I was getting mixed up with. I woke up the next morning because I lived downtown. And the very first thing I found out when I went down to get my mail, came early in the morning, was some guy had ripped me off for $400. Whoa, I knew how to handle that. In my mind, I could see that tire iron hitting him in the head. You know, and God's going, no, 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 no. Things are going to change. You can't live like that anymore. The Bible says, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. This is like a now religion. It's not like down the road someplace. He is a new creature. And God demands holiness. You know, he says, follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. And having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. And remember that woman they took to him, you know, that committed adultery, you know, he's writing away and he gets up and he's, where's your accusers? They're not here. They're gone. You know, he says, well, I'm not going to condemn you either. I'll forgive you. He said, go and sin no more. God don't tell us to do things we can't do. He wants us to live a life without sin. So Holy Spirit's telling me, so you're going to have to make some major changes in your life. Well, I went to work and I'm thinking about that. And uh, so they give me my paycheck and it was, uh, just before lunchtime, they give you your checks. You can walk to the bank. This is a block or two away, you know. So I walks up to the bank, and uh, the Holy Spirit, he waits till I'm the next one in line. And uh, he says to me, uh, whose name is that on that check you got there? Well, I can't use my own name. I'm a fugitive. <laughs> so he says, don't you see that everything you do is based upon lies? Everything, your whole life is built upon lies. You can't live like that and serve me. Have you read Revelation 21.8, what God has a plan for all liars? Yeah, well, I didn't want any part of that. I left the uh, bank, had my check in my hand, I went back to work, and the Holy Spirit just kept calling and calling and calling. I said, okay, fine. I walked two days after I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I walked into the Royal Canadian Mounted Police Station, went up to the counter and said, my name is, uh, my real name is uh, Ken Burton. I said, I've been in your country now for like 10 years, running, hiding, getting away from the police. I've had all kinds of jobs. I'll give you all my identification. I'll tell you anything you want to know about me. I got to go back and do a 25 to 40 year prison sentence. 
sentence, and they got a bunch of other charges against me and everything else. And that cop looked up. He looked at me in the face. He said, uh, Mr. Uh, Burton, have you ever had any kind of psychiatric treatment? <laughs> I said, I'm a Christian now. I got to serve God. I got to do things right. They took me in like they were doing me a favor, locked me up. They were actually acting as though they were doing something for me, a favor, you know. The next morning when they found out for probably the first time in my life I was actually telling the truth, they couldn't believe it. They were bringing people back in there to look at me. There he is. I walked in here last night, said he's a Christian, got to do things right. <laughs> I made my way back through a series of jails and adventures. I, I can't hardly even begin to tell you about them. I don't know what the time is. <laughs> Maybe I better not tell you about too many of them. <laughs> but uh, uh, let me see. I'll tell you about one of them. They took me in. Uh, they locked me up in, uh, in uh, Vancouver. Uh, they lock you in isolation when you're, uh, un un you're not a citizen of that country. They, you know, they lock you up in isolation. You can't mix with their, with their people. So I was, uh, I was locked up there, and I remember I was going around, and I was wondering, boy, these jails are... Man, these are rough places. I hate being in these places. And some of the people in here, they're, well, they're just rude. I mean, you can't hardly get along with some of the people in here. And I was wondering, God, are you, you, you big enough to take care of me? You know, are you strong enough to take care of me? And I was, I was really kind of worried about it. And I was getting discouraged. And, you know, I began to feel like I, I feel I'm in here, but, Lord, where are you? Well, I found something out that day. When you need help from God and you commit your heart and life and soul and everything to God and you need help, you're going to get it. The Bible says, he doth what he will in the armies of heaven and who shall hinder him? Nobody. There's, there's armies in heaven. Revelation 12, 12 says, therefore rejoice ye heavens and ye that dwell in them. The, sands, uh, the, the, the armies of heaven cannot be numbered any more than the sands of the sea can be measured. When you need help and you call upon God, you're going to get it. I was laying in the bathroom on the floor crying and praying Lord I'm in here facing life in prison and I can't feel your presence are you here are you really going to take care of me Whew. came to the door they opened this big steel door and uh, I said Burton come here yeah he says you got some visitors really he says okay come with me and he led me down this long hall opened his steel door and put me in a room this room was uh, cut in half and it had a glass dividing the room in half it was so thick it made people look green on the other side. And there was uh, Marianne, my, my wife, and this pastor I had met and his wife and had their baby. Now here's what's amazing about that. My wife had tried to come up to visit me and they said, you can't go and visit him because uh, he's not a citizen here. In order to see him, you need a special pass from immigration. And that office is closed because today is a holiday, so you can't come in here. And that pastor called and said, how's he doing? And she said, I can't even go up and see him. And he said, well, let's, let's, uh, let me try. Come on with me. So they went up there, and there they were. I walked in, they were on the other side of that glass. And I tried to talk to them, and I was fighting such a spiritual battle. I didn't even understand the spiritual battle. And uh, I was so discouraged, and she tried to talk to me with that phone. And after a little while, you know, I was in such tears, the pastor just took that phone, and he started talking to me, and he started praying. And all of a sudden, when he was praying... A bolt of lightning that felt like a thousand volts hit my body right here and exploded inside of me. I looked at my 
fingertips. I thought they had literally exploded and the strength went out of my body and I started sliding to the floor and I started speaking some language I never spoke before and all of a sudden I felt the power and the presence of God fill this room. I forgot where I was. I thought I was up in, in heaven in front of God's throne. His presence was so powerful and I was... I, nobody even had to instruct me how to worship God. You know, this is in the Old Testament. I will, they were, therefore, the men pray everywhere. He lifted up holy hands without wrath and doubting. Or Paul wrote that. And the Old Testament says, I will, therefore, the men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. And bless, uh, and bless the Lord in the sanctuary, lifting up your holy hands. Anyways, I just put my hands up and I was worshiping God. I didn't even know I was back on earth. It was like a little while later, I started remembering I was in a jail Oh my goodness, I looked over there, and my wife, if you could have seen the look on her face that time, it was better than the other time. She was really worried. I went over and I picked up the phone, and I said, I don't want to be rude, but you guys can go home now. Everything is okay. I, I got this. I got this. God is here. He's with me. I ain't worried about nothing anymore. Go ahead and go. Well, she went, all right. She went home. She called the jail. They finally, after talking to him a lot, she finally ended up talking to the uh, psychiatrist at the jail. And uh, the next day, I was minding my own business in my cell, greatly encouraged. And uh, the door opens, and this guy comes in, and he's all dressed in white, shoes, socks, pants, shirt, the whole works, all white. And he says, uh, Mr. Burton, he says, uh, I've been talking to Marion, and uh, I'm, I'm here to help you. I understand you've uh, been going through a lot of stress. She feels like you've really, really, really been stressed out. And as a matter of fact, he says, I, I brought you some pills here. These are going to help you to calm down, you know, so you don't swing into them highs and into those lows. These pills here will just mellow you right out. Drugs had been the biggest problem of my life, man. <laughs> drugs is what got me. I did drugs so I could commit crimes and I wouldn't feel bad about it, you know. I did drugs and commit all kinds of immoral acts. I sold drugs. That's why the police was there. That's why I was in jail because of these drugs. And you know what? For the first time in my life, I'm filled with God's spirit. I quit doing drugs. And this servant of the devil walks in. You want some free drugs, kid? Huh? <laughs> oh, my word. No. I said I don't need drugs anymore. I found something that's far better now. I am not going to need your drugs. I think I think I hurt his feelings. But he kind of left, you know, and he said, listen, you, you know, you can tell them that you want to see me, and, and I'll come back. I didn't have to call him back. I'll tell you about one more jail, and I'll let you out of here. I went to uh, cross the border and... Uh, Blaine, Whatcom County Jail, a maximum security place. It holds about 250 people. And when you go into these jails, there's always one thing they all want to, they always want to know. He meets at the door, you know. What you in here for? Well, I start telling that guy my story, you know. I didn't get very far. Whoa, wait a minute. You're trying to tell me you got away from the police for 10 years? You had all this identification? You were living with a woman who was going to get married? And you turned yourself in to spend the rest of your time in prison? I said, yeah, I'm a Christian now. You have to do things right when you serve God. So you ain't got a lick of sense in your head. You'll never get out of this jail alive. Now, in retrospect, I can tell you right now, God did not send that guy to me to encourage me. <laughs> I went back and the, the, they had the bullpen, and then we had cells off the bullpen. There was like, I don't know, six, eight of us in, in a cell. I stayed in my cell the next day. I told him I didn't want to go out there because I, I was 
praying, you know, I just wanted to get closer to God. And I was, boy, I thought, you know, I know God can take care of me, but still I'm in a prison. Who wants to spend their life in a jail? You know what I mean? It's just, I was kind of feeling sorry for myself. Whew, boy, God doesn't go for that stuff. <laughs> His door opened. <laughs> Burton, come out here. Well, I went out there, and uh, there's this big, tall lady from the sheriff's department, and uh, she was the fingerprint technician for the FBI for the state of Washington, among other things. Uh, her name's Sharon Wagner. And uh, she called me out. She said, we're going to take your uh, fingerprints. We want to be sure you're who you say you are. Who would impersonate Ken Burton to begin with? <laughs> Anyways, I said, okay. So I went out there, and we're standing along this table, and she starts taking my fingerprints. And I guess she's seen I was a little bit downcast. And she looks at me, and she says, Kenneth, do you know Jesus as your Savior? Whoa, this is the sheriff talking to me. What? <laughs> what? <laughs> lady, I was so happy to see another Christian. I was jumping up down. I said, lady, why do you think I'm in here? I became a Christian. That's how I got in here. And I told her about, you know, all the experience that I've had and how God brought me all this way and how I was a little dis. She said, you listen to me, Ken. I used to be a prisoner in this very same jail on the other side where they keep women. Look at me today. I work for the sheriff's department. I work for the FBI. She said, when God gets a hold of you, he changed your life. He isn't going to stop. Philippians 1.6 says, uh, and he who has begun a good work and you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. He's not going to abandon you. He's got some big time plans for you. Trust him. And then, can you believe this? Here's the cop and here's the criminal. And when bowed our heads down and she started praying for me. Only God could pull that off. <laughs> I was greatly encouraged when I went back into my cell. And I remember a day or so later I was in there and some of the other guys came in to visit. There was a half a dozen of them in there and uh, they had some of them Bibles they found around the jail and they were looking at them and asking me questions about this Jesus that, that got me in there and was going to take care of me and wanted to know all about him. <laughs> Whoa, I said, that's good, Lord. Anyways, we've got to end this. You'll be here the rest of the day. I finally went back to, uh, they got me back to uh, Flint, Michigan, uh, where I was sentenced. And I uh, went before a judge. My wife said, we're going to get you the uh, best lawyer, the money. I said, I got the best lawyer you can get. Don't worry about it. <laughs> they took me before the judge. And the judge says to me, uh, I didn't ask him for anything. The judge says, uh, Mr. Burton, I've decided, he decided, I've decided that I'm going to resentence you. And he gave me three years probation, threw out the 25 to 40 year prison sentence, dismissed the federal warrant. Canada dropped every single charge they had against me while I was up there for 10 years running and hiding, getting away from the police and lying and everything else because the God that I serve is still alive and healthy and well. He hasn't lost any of his powers. He can do the same thing today that he did two and three and 4,000 years ago. Woo! If you're here today and you need Jesus, I can't understand what would stop you from running as fast as you can get to an altar of prayer. <laughs> Anyways, I thank you for the privilege of being here today. And maybe we'll just, just bow our heads just for a moment. If anybody is here that doesn't know Jesus as their Savior and would like to know him as their Savior, it's really simple. You just have to ask him to forgive you, and he will. And uh, is anybody here? I assume that maybe most people here know Jesus. Anybody here that doesn't know him and want to invite him into your life, now is the time. I'll be more than happy to pray with you if you feel that way. 
Our Father, we just thank you for this privilege that we've had here today to speak to our brothers and sisters. We thank you for your love and your many blessings. I pray that you'd watch over them and go with each and every one of them and put the fire of God in our hearts to tell other people about Jesus. Lord, we love you and thank you today. In Jesus' holy name, hallelujah.